gonna rock this shade Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Angela Easley. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
Angela Easley from her brand new release, and we got Angela on the line right now. Hey, Angela, how you doing? Hey, Rich, I'm great. Thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Now, this is the first time you've been on our show, so we always like to give our fans this opportunity to get to know who you are. And the best way to do that is by your journey, how you got to where you are today. So give us the story of Angela Easley. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, you know, like many great Southern stories, mine began um, in, in Sunday Sunday morning in church, like many others. And uh, I told my granny, you know, I wanted to sing for this event that they were having. So that's what she got me a little amp and a backing track, and she helped me practice. And my first performance was in church. I was eight years old. And uh, I sang the song, He's Still Working On Me, <laughs> in a little church in Mississippi. And then um, from there, immediately, I just loved it so much, and and everybody said I did so well. You know, you could just tell I was a natural that I started entering um, talent contests, and then very quickly I started being asked to, like, perform, like, at benefits and um, festivals, little festivals just around the community and stuff. And, you know, I was only a kid. I was only, you know, eight years old. So it started growing um, very fast. And then by the time I was 12, I got asked to be a member of a gospel, um, country gospel band. They were all adults, and I was just a kid, but I was one of the, like, real singers in the band. And we traveled all over on the weekend singing um, at these big gospel things and um, events like that at churches and different things, and that was amazing. It gave me great experience, and I started recording then with the guitar player of that band um, in his little home studio, Mr. Billy Coleman, I love him so much. He helped me um, many years, you know, supported my music. But I started recording at his little studio, and he would just sit and let me record for hours, you know. And I was just like, like I said, I was a kid. I was like 12 years old or somewhere around there, 10, 12, something like that. And um, so after that, I started just, performing at more events everybody was just asking me to perform at all kinds of stuff festivals um you know weddings birthday parties private events just whatever would come up there i really didn't have to seek the opportunities out they just always came and um but my mom did help me um sometimes too she would just she would look for events too and help find stuff but we really were blessed with a lot of great opportunities and then um, I was asked to join the band Bayou Lanyap, and they were a band based out of Slidell, Louisiana. And again, they were all adults, and I was still a teenager, but um, we started performing everywhere. I mean, all through New Orleans and the clubs, um, all through you know Louisiana, we played festivals, we played fairs, we played the House of Blues in New Orleans, we played Margaritaville in New Orleans. I mean, we played all kinds of festivals. We opened for George Jones. I got to sing backups with him. We opened for Mark Chestnut. We opened for all kinds of people. I can't even remember. There was so much stuff. And we got the chance to record a Mountain Dew jingle that got airplay, and we recorded an album that um, just did really well as far as sales, you know, from our shows. And it ended up being placed in the Tyler Record Store, which is, you know, everywhere, and they placed it in the Louisiana section, and we were getting regional airplay with that album as well, so that was, that was super exciting. Um, I was the lead singer for that band um, for, you know, all my years through high school, and then after high school, um, I started my own band, the Angela Easley Band, and I played casinos for several years full-time. I had a New Orleans-based band, and that was amazing. Uh, great drummer out of New Orleans, Troy Jones. He played with me for like 10 years, <laughs> and um, he helped me run that band, and we had a minivan and a 5 by 8 utility trailer, and here we go. We would hit the road, and uh, we played full-time. We played casinos sometimes five nights a week, you know, four hours a night. We would do like two-week contracts, and we just we went all over the um, United States and especially the uh, East Coast, and we were about to start getting up the West Coast 
And then I decided to disband that band and move to Nashville, which I had been coming to Nashville since I was 14. I recorded my very first album here at 14 years old. And I'll tell you a cool and funny little thing about me. My very first trip to Nashville, and I like to tell people this, is funny. My very first gig in Nashville was actually on the Grand Ole Opry stage. It was not the Grand Ole Opry show, but it was a talent show that I had won um, all the way up. And the final like competition thing was I got to come to Nashville, perform at this big event at the Grand Ole Opry house, and I got to come and record two um, songs as a promotional EP in the studio here in Nashville. So that, those two songs were my first Nashville recordings, and that got me, you know, that started my love affair with music and, uh, or with Nashville, and I always knew I wanted to come here. So, and then the, just right after that, the year after that, I did get to come back, and that's when I recorded my first album, um, Country Angel, actually, and I recorded it here in Nashville at 14. Okay. Now, let, let's talk a little bit about this new release. Yeah, um, absolutely. When you were putting this together, what was your 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 message for this or your goal for this particular release? Um, well, I knew, you know, my music always, I always like to have, I, I can write about everything and I do write about everything and, and I can write about any subject commercially, but as far as like what comes from my heart and what I like to say as an artist, there's usually two things that I tend to write about and unless it's a specific like topic that I'm writing for like I did my cousin's song for I'm Breathing but I like to write about love and it's usually about my own heartbreak and something personal in my life but I also just like to write um, songs that are uplifting and encouraging and that help unite and bring people together and that is what you hear um, from this album and that is what is you know the title track is Rise and um, also Crazy Rain, you know, relates to as well in that sense. But just kind of bringing people together in all the craziness of the world that's going on right now um, and just helping remind people that, you know, the only way we do rise is if we come together and we rise as one and, and together and to help stop all the, the hate and the division that's just been going on, um, you know, just in the world the last however many years i mean i know it's been around for a long time but it just seems like it's been really intense you know these last few years and several years so that's just my contribution to just help put positive energy and positive vibes out to the world okay now let's talk a little bit about your process as a songwriter now being in nashville I mean, let's face it, song is king in that town. And oh, yeah. they take songwriting seriously. This is, you know, it's a job. Um, you know, they, they create writing times. It's a very structured environment. They have writing. You make appointments for co-writing and so on and so forth. And some writers really thrive in that kind of environment. Others are more inspirationally driven. When you sit down to begin to write... What is your process that allows you to tap into the muse? Yeah, well, I actually, I've been blessed and I actually am able to work in both settings that you were just speaking of, a more tailored and structured schedule writing sessions with co-writers, which I, I have done that for many years, you know, um, especially there at ASCAP building. I've been in those rooms a lot. And like you said, it's very scheduled and structured. But then I also, and I'm that's just, you know, when we're doing co-writing, but I also do a lot of writing on my own, and those are never forced. Those are just, you know, what is needing to come through me, and those are always really personal, and it, those are a different, I get different kinds of songs, and it's a whole different mindset, whether I'm writing um, alone, and it's just coming through spirit, and that spirit leads me. Or if I'm going to a more tailored, you know, more structured, okay, it's time to do business of sitting down and writing a song. But I can actually do both, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Now, um, I look at songwriting as actually two parts of the brain. You've got that... <laughs> That structured part, which is the lyrics, you know, which has a story, continuity, rhyme, meter, all of those structure elements. And then you have melody, which is a little different. Some songwriters like to use a groove. Others like to 
have a chord structure to, to kind of work within. And then there are others that allow the, the lyric to kind of dictate through its, its you know, inflections where the melody should go. What is your go-to when you look to uh, write melodies? Um, melody, just, I, I can get melody in a lot of different ways because I've played multiple instruments and, you know, as, as you know, I'm a vocalist as well. So sometimes I get melodies that will come, you know, to me on an instrument when I'm just sitting around jamming and I'll find something that I'm not even looking for and I'll be like, oh, that's cool. And I got to, I'll record it or I'll, if I have time, you know, I'll sit there and work through it then. But then sometimes I can just be driving down the road and melodies will just come to me in my head and, you know, I'll just vocally sing it and usually I grab my phone and just pick up and I have a million like many songwriters I was just going through my notes the other day in my phone and it's super fun to go through all your um, unfinished songs and song ideas sometimes that you forget that you've even started or have because there's usually so many of your writing you know all the time and sometimes you find stuff that you started or an idea that you have forgotten about that's really good and you're like oh and then it's like a a gift for a second time (laughs) I just did that the other day but yeah, it it really comes to me in in all ways. I can I can hear a groove in my head. I can be on an instrument playing, and and like I said, just run across something that sounds good and I like, and I can take that and develop it into a full idea. Or it just may come as something you know in my head, just like that I can sing out or home or something. Okay. Now, um, let's talk about your toolkit as a songwriter, because every songwriter has their toolkit, whether it's, you know, their cell phone, um, where they capture those momentary ideas, or they have a home recording studio, or even just pen and a pad. Every songwriter has their collection of tools that they like to use. What is in your toolkit? Yeah, um, I use a combination of everything, like and I have a ton of things in my phone, my cell phone that I keep on the notes department. But then I also have a ton of notebooks because I do like to just sit down and write pen to paper sometimes. And I keep a ton of notebooks and I'm a list person. And I also have dry erase boards all around my apartment and in my studio. Um, And then also I did just, I was blessed enough to be able to get set up a pandemic studio is what I call it because I set it up during the pandemic. So now I actually do have a home studio, so it's really uh, has evolved my home creative process to really be able to dive into ideas more, explore ideas more, and I've been learning how to record and produce myself, engineer, mix, master, and I'm learning video editing, so that's been a lot of fun during the pandemic, and definitely an added to my toolbox, as you were asking about. (laughs) Okay. You know, I'm always curious when when musicians put together their studio, what DAW that they go with, whether it's, you know, one of the the DAWs that are out there, or did they go to, did you go to Pro Tools? What what system did you go with? um, I'm actually using Logic Pro X, which that is what my album Rise is recorded on um, by Walter Scott, and my album before that, Hold On was recorded on that as well and that uh worked best for me for my budget now down the road i probably will invest in pro tools as well because i just you know i think it'll be good but this is a great starting point for me as far as um budget price point and the workability because um you know logic pro is seems to be pretty user-friendly, you know, and, and I've really enjoyed working with it and learning. I still have a lot to learn, but I'm actually surprised at how um, much I have learned and how fast I have learned it, so it's been fun. Well, you know, I, between you and I, um, I've been a recording engineer since the early 80s. I've been doing this. I've worked on Pro Tools. i worked on a lot of them. Usually, engineers that are working on Pro Tools are too lazy to learn anything else. You know, they... <laughs> Usually, yeah, you know, it's it's a love hate relationship with Pro Tools. Uh, yeah. I have I have actually given up Pro Tools and and moved to Studio One. I think uh, that was an, it's just an amazing software package, um, and it's really user friendly and you know it's a lot lot of fun to work with. <laughs> um, now. 
every songwriter gets to that point where they have to put the pen down. They have to learn, uh, move the song from from the writing phase into production. Uh, what do you do to determine that moment in a song's life? Um, usually, you know, when I just feel good, I I, I know when a song's done. Like I just I know um, I don't know how to like I have such good intuition when I'm writing and I, I just know what it needs to say and I kind of know I can hear it in my head like before I get it out um, on paper or recording or anything like I already hear the song and what it should sound like in my head so um, yeah just <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I kind of forgot what you were saying there for a minute well but, yeah go ahead but yeah that that's just the process um, and then then I usually, once I get it solid to where, you know, I feel good and I'm playing through it strong and it's solid and I'm happy with how it is, then I take it to my band and, you know, we just start playing it live and I'll instruct them if if, if they're not playing something exactly how I'm hearing it in, in my head, you know, I might kind of tweak it and ask them to change it a little bit. But, you know, I work with a, an incredible group of musicians and I've been so blessed. Um, I had a group of guys that uh, have been with me for about four, I think it's about four years now, and um, they played on the album, and they're just incredible, and we have worked together for a while, and they're just great musicians themselves, and they have the natural ability to interpret, you know, what needs to happen for the song without me having to tell them a whole lot, honestly, you know, just because they're great creatives themselves as well, but... <clears throat> Yeah, I, I mean, I've already had the song laid out, and then I just take it and I play it through, and, you know, they fill in the, the parts as far as laying drums and, and bass and stuff like that. Okay, well, what is the lineup on this? What, what are they, who's playing on it? Yeah, um, Brian Zach, he is playing on all the drum tracks except for one. Uh, Marcus Finney, which uh, he's a well-known name, um, plays with Kev Moe and Taj and uh, a lot of other great people. He is playing on one track, Marcus Finney is, but Brian Zach is playing on all the others. He's a great um, Nashville drummer here. Um, Calvin Johnson, also another great um, musician. Been He's played with so many great blues artists through the years, toured, played on so many albums. He's, you know, pretty well known in the blues scene himself. And uh, he played bass, and he's played with me for four years himself as well. Um, Walter Scott is a monster and a musical genius. He produced the album and my last album. He is playing the B3 organ on this. And Walter and I have been great friends and music buddies. And he's been helping me um, since 2011. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be where I am honestly without Walter's help and his blessings with my music because he has just, he's he's just helped me so much, you know, because he has a studio and he's just so um, talented musically himself and he knows a lot of people. He's been able to connect me with a lot of great, um, great, great artists, you know, that I probably wouldn't have been able to have access to without him. So props to him. I'll, I'm always telling him I'll probably never be able to repay him, but I'm going to try. <laughs> okay. Randy Scott, uh, Randy Scott, Randy played guitar and played with me for the same amount of time, about four years, and just an incredible, expressive, rocking, um, really full of personality guitar player, and that's what I love about Randy playing. It's unique. You know it's Randy when you hear it, and that boy can play the guitar. You know, he tears it up. Um, Matthew Grow, I got two saxophone players on here. Matthew Grow. My, I call him my brother from another mother. Um, he plays, he's from New Orleans, and he plays sax on all the songs except for one. And Micah uh, Holman, he has played with me. Matthew and Micah have both played a lot with me live on and off for the last four or five years um, between the two of them. And just both great people, great sax players. Um, also, I have some killer um, horn players, Roy AG, he um, has played in Prince's band. He now plays with the Christian singer Lauren. I can't think of her last name. I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank, but I know you know who she is. She's very popular. Lauren, somebody. Um, and he's played with, you know, just tremendous players. Um, Roy AG and uh, tr trombone. 
he played trombone. Jim Williamson, he played uh, trumpet, and Jim, he was a very well-known um, trumpet player as well, played on Prince stuff, everything. Another uh, great trombone player here in Nashville, Garen Webb, he played on a lot of stuff. Uh, Kieran Gupta played trumpet. And then my singers. Man, I got some singers on this album. I don't know if you've listened to it. Hopefully you have, but I have some singers. Shelly Fairchild, my um, Mississippi soul sister. She's also from Mississippi and great artist here in Nashville. And um, she rocked it on some backup vocals for me. Also, uh, my friend Heidi Burston, which is another great artist um, here in Nashville. You should check her out as well. Just amazing, amazing vocalist. Um, she plays piano and sings as well. Check her out. She tours internationally as well. Um, and then, of course, last but not least, and I still can't even believe that I have them on my album, and I also got to do a music video with them, <clears throat> and that is the famous McCurry sisters. I'm sure you know who they are. Mm -hmm. um, Regina and Ann and Deborah and uh, Frida. Nice. So, yeah, they they sing on I Can Let Go, which is the first track of the album. And like I said, we just did a music video, filmed a music video that just had the premiere. Everybody go check out the music video premiere. And the American Blues scene um, hosted our exclusive worldwide music video premiere. And they have a nice article on their site right now. So thank you to the American Blues scene. And thank you so much to Betsy Brown. Let me go ahead and just give her a little shout-out because Betsy Brown, Blind Raccoon, Memphis, Tennessee. She's hanging out in Memphis, so you know she's doing some good because good stuff always comes out of Memphis. <laughs> but, um, man, she is rocking it. I was told she was one of the best, and she sure is. She has been working, and her team has been working. And thank you so much, Betsy and Blind Raccoon. I am so excited and honored to, you know, be working with you guys. And thank you for believing in me, and just thank you for all you're doing. Nice. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, going into the studio. Um you know, having a good song gives you something to say, but going into the studio creates its identity, not only for the song, but as you as an artist. Um, what is your process when you get into that environment that allows you to capture your sound? Yeah, well, like I said, I was really blessed with this project because I took my like live band into the studio with me in addition to some players but the core core of this band was my live band that i've been performing with all the time out live you know live in the clubs and stuff so we had the benefit of being really tight and having these songs like really worked out and just sounding great by the time we took them in the studio and <clears throat> so for this project, we recorded here in Nashville, um, my producer's studio, home studio here, and we did the band tracking all together, um, you know, in one room, all tracking together, and we the, all the core tracks were laid like that, and then, of course, we came back and did, you know, whatever overdub tracks that needed to be done, and then... Uh, lead vocals and backup vocals but that was the process you know we wanted to we are so good and all all of us that with this group plays together so well and so tight just playing because we played together for a little while we wanted to capture that just live sound almost you know i mean it, it is still studio but just that live of feel of playing together you know in the same room and uh, i think we did and i i love how it turned out Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about the music industry. You know, okay. we, we all know that it's not cheap putting out a project. I mean, it costs money to go into the studio. It costs money to hire musicians. It costs money to hire a publicist and get it out to radio. <laughs> yeah. And we've been in this digital revolution now for over 20 years. And in that time, the consumer has embraced streaming as a way to consume music. And the offshoot of that is that they no longer look at recorded music as a product. 
it's not something to buy anymore. You don't go to Tower Records. You don't go to Sam Goody anymore and and buy music. Uh, even downloads. People don't want to store it on their phone. They don't, they don't want to clog their phone up with stuff. So, yeah. you know, streaming is the way to consume music. How has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? You know, it, it, it definitely is changing things um, for everybody within the industry. And, um, you know, I, I, think, I think I miss just having the more physical connection uh, with fans, so you know, being able to hand them and give them stuff. But there is a there is an advantage to the streaming thing because I feel like you know you can reach a whole lot more people with it. But I do think it hurts artists financially in the long run because I think you know we all pretty much know you make less money through the streaming process than you know the physical sales and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there is technology coming down the pike that will change the way the music industry operates. You know, I read an article about the industry, and it had said that of all the billions of dollars that are generated through the music industry, only 12% makes it back to the, to the content creators, the artists themselves. I know that's sad. <laughs> it, well, it's not only it's sad. I mean, it's a it's an indication that there's a problem. If you look at the sports industry, you know, NFL or the NBA, they get almost 50% of the generated revenue goes back to the athletes. So, right. there is definitely a disparity here. Yeah. You know, the music industry is glutted with a lot of middlemen. You know, uh, you've got aggregators and distributors and, and you know, streaming services and record companies and publishers. And, you know, then you got ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. You know, of course, they have operating expenses. You know, all of this goes to take a piece of the pie that should be going to the artist. Right. And... If we could eliminate all of those middlemen uh, and and make a direct stream to the artist, then that would, I think, be a more equitable way of running this business. And I think that's yeah. what's happening. Um, you have like Audius and em Emanate, which are new streaming platforms that are saying that they're going to pay artists up to 90% of the generated revenue. Uh, Emanate actually says they generate a payment stream every two seconds of a stream. That they'll wow. generate money going directly to the artist's wallet. Um, you know, because of these new smart contracts that are in this this blockchain streaming platform. So, you know, we, we have a lot coming down the pike what what do you think of that as as a possibility for the future of the industry? Do you think it's viable that this will happen? I think it could be a very good thing because, like you said, I mean, it's going to up the um, the value to to directly to the artist and cut out some of the middleman. Which you're right, there people don't realize the expenses that go in and. Not only the expenses, but the behind-the-scenes work. But it takes a lot of money to do this. And you it takes a while before you start actually making money back. You know, that's why we have to get sponsors. That's why we have to do crowdfunding. I mean, when you're in this, especially as an indie artist, which this is an independent release for me on my own uh, record label that I started, Class A Records, when you're an independent artist like this, you have to be a hustler and you have to become an entrepreneur and you have to learn how to sell yourself and the product. And, you know, that is that is the biggest challenge. But if, if they could make it to where the, that the middleman, as you say, expenses could be reduced, that would be a tremendous, tremendous help. And if the return is a bigger return will be a tremendous help. So I hope... I hope that does continue to develop, and I know it is in the development, because I think that would be a great thing for artists, and especially independent artists. Oh, yeah, and I definitely agree. Now, one of the things I did notice when the pandemic hit, 
a lot of artists went on to the internet and started creating live streams, working their social media, creating content that wasn't necessarily about music, but just basically, you know, putting up, you know, pictures and videos of, you know, babies, kittens and puppies and, you know, what I had for breakfast. And the fans started to really gravitate towards this because if you think about it, the internet is a broadcast network, and mm-hmm. every independent artist has the ability to create their own reality show. Right. You know, to create a sense of celebrity around their brand. Right. That now I think is the new product. Yeah. You know, you want people to invest into your brand. Right. And, you know, whether it's through a T-shirt or a hat or even a a non-fungible token where they invest in your, you know, maybe a piece of your publishing or a piece of your streaming royalties or whatever the case may be. These are the new income streams, I think, for independent artists. Instead of assigning your publishing to a record company, because that's the first thing they ask for. You know, sell it to your fans, you know, and put them to work. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I tell you what, like I said, I, I'm I'm a hustler and I have really learned how to hustle and I'm still learning, but I actually do research and anybody if they're an independent artist, they should be researching, you know, just how ways to, you know, monetize and, and build and grow your brand as an independent artist. But, you know, I have learned that there are different levels of fans that you are trying to obtain. There, you know, are your super fans and they will buy and anything you do, you know, like it don't matter if you record the ABCs, they're going to buy it because they're your super fans. And those are the people you're trying to build and collect. And then it kind of goes down from there as far as a little less engaged fans. But there's like three levels of fans that you're trying to build. But but that is what you're doing. You're, you're building relationships with these people. You know, they want to know, they want to know you as a person and get to know more about you and I think the more personal relationship you do build with people to where they feel like they actually do know you as a person I think that only just solidifies your fan base you know to be stronger and and build and grow more just building real true organic fans you know and and that does the the internet does open that opportunity to you know everybody now like you said you can have your own little reality show and just be the star of your world that, <laughs> that's <you> it <laughs> now you know I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us and uh, well, we're going to give everyone out there an indie blues double shot from your release and uh, you guys are going to love this man turn it up loud screw the neighbors yeah. we're going to have some fun yeah that's right there you go Our eyes have been cast down Our backs were 
talk to you Just the other day It sounded like You were fine You said something Just hold me one more last time independent artist or a fan that loves them making a scene.org is the place for you for the music fan we bring you in-depth interviews and cd reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music for the independent artist we bring you articles on music business recording techniques gear reviews and interviews with industry for professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. 
makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the indie revolution. Shout now, honey. Gonna make. 